Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside and on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Special Labor Day edition of the 2023 U.S. Open entering the second week. Joined now by the journalist, the resident journalist at our Tennis Channel Network. He's been on the show a few times. Tennis fans will know him from the author of Strokes of Genius. He's on 60 Minutes, Sports Illustrated, Midwest guy at heart, though, John Wertheim. Welcome back to the show. I like the, uh, the the Midwest in the bio. I'll, I'll here for that. Uh, good to be yeah. here. How are you? Good, good. I uh, you know we mentioned before last time I brought up Breaking Away. I couldn't find any other movies filmed in Bloomington. I think Blue Chips was like Blue Frankfurt, you, yeah, oh, man, somewhere. Good pull. Yeah, a couple, couple counties away. Yeah, they had the Indiana and you know you team there. Hoosiers too. Obviously. Oh well, yeah, for sure. You know, there's there's uh, a lot of similarities with us, Ohio, Indiana, and we'll get to some of that stuff. But with the U.S. Open in full swing, thought it was a good time to talk to you. You're on TC Live. For the entire two weeks of the tournament, the early morning show, getting everybody ready and, you know, gearing up on what was what is a second week that's exceptional. The just U.S. Open never does cease to amaze with the drama because we can think we can plan stuff out and, you know, fill out our brackets. But I'd even argue that tennis more so than even March Madness, you can't really go seed by seed. There's just more upsets than we can imagine. There's just <laughs> probably a lesson in here for everyone. This is the first U.S. Open without Roger Federer or Serena Williams. Rafa Nadal mm-hmm. is not here. Um, Novak is, but he's been playing at night. So, I mean, think about it. Like, yeah. the four dominant players of the last 20 years haven't been there during the day at the U.S. Open. And you'd never know it. There are upsets, there's storylines, there's controversy, there are more fans <laughs> than ever. Um, sometimes I wish leaders in the sport would trust the product a little more. Yeah, Trust the sport. Enough with the bells and whistles let the players and let their rackets do the speaking. And I think this is a good example of that. Yeah. The fan thing is interesting too. It's, it's great support, obviously maybe too many people there at times, but it just shows you that the product is going to survive. There are going to be dips and ups and downs. And some of that is event specific. We saw that when Serena lost in the semis or Roger and Novak lost that same day, unfortunately that stuff will happen, but the product is just by itself. Very, very well. I I think fans like that they can come in and they don't know a whole lot necessarily about, Whoever pick your, you know, Elaine Ostapenko. Yeah. By the end of two weeks, they know quite a bit. I think um, pet, pet theory on the crowds, there are only two matches during the day on Ash. Mm-hmm. And I think that was meant so that in case there were long matches, sometimes you had this awkward situation where the night crowd was right. sort of parked outside the stadium and it was uncomfortable. So there are only two matches on Ash. What happens when those matches end or when they're quick or there's an injury? Mm-hmm all those fans on Ash disperse around the grounds or <laughs> yeah. the matches get up early. You know, yeah. hey, it's 3.30 in the afternoon. Well, I, I don't want to leave yet. Yeah. So I think um, some of the, the the short matches on Ash and some of the only two sessions, I think that might be one reason it does seem very crowded. Yeah, you can never, I mean, that's the beauty about tennis, right? It's the only sport you really don't even know what time you're playing. If you're the athlete in a lot of cases, unless you're first time, yeah, you have exactly. to, you know, exactly. Medvedev touched on that, which we'll get to. But story so far going into today, especially, Igis Fiontek's out. She loses to Yelena Ostapenko. And John, she lost going away in that third set, which was the most surprising thing. 
0-4 against Ostapenko in her career will lose the number one ranking. And that was a match that was not fluky at all. The better player won last night. And I don't know if it's a matchup issue or just the fact that maybe Iga is feeling a little bit of the pressure. But Ostapenko took it to her. She went big, and she absolutely deserved to win. Yeah, I mean, Iga could retire tomorrow when she's a shoe in for the Hall of Fame, but it's been a strange couple months for her. And this is someone who got to number one in the world and she's, you know, wins, she's a defending champion here. She won at Roland Garros again, obviously, but there always does seem to be a slight, I don't want to say vulnerability, but sort of a a delicacy Mm -hmm. to her. And you don't get the feel this is not a swaggering champion. This is not someone who's going to necessarily crawl on weeds when the going gets tough. And she lost that second set and then really vanished. So credit Ostapenko, who's sort of this this chaos agent and who when she's on, she can be absolute dynamite. But yeah. Um, yeah, that is not the way a number one player and defending champion wants to sort of give up both. Yeah, broke seven times, which her serve was kind of a nightmare all night long. And Ostapenko, I mean, we know is the ultimate wild card. How she gets out of bed in the morning might dictate right, what's going right. to happen and won't be afraid, which we saw. Yeah, I get the sense, too, with Egan. We know she's this Hall of Fame champion already, but she is so very process-oriented, my observation, that if something goes a little wrong, and I guess Rafa had this a little bit, but he still, you know, developed and had that, you know, ability to improv. With Ega, I do feel like if the process isn't perfect, you kind of see it. And sometimes she's, a lot of times she's good enough to win, but she does get rattled more. And I think that's something she'll improve as she gets older, but we, we did see it. Yeah, and I, I don't know what, and this is something it's not necessarily in gray. I mean, I think this is, this is variable, but I don't know what her taste for battle is. Mm. I mean, you mentioned Rafa or... Mm. Djokovic post age 21 <laughs> yeah. or so where they love it. They, they have no problem being at four all in a decisive set. They have right. no problem playing a lousy set and testing themselves to reset. Mm-hmm. And I think Ega doesn't like talking about bagels and breadsticks. And I think maybe she finds it a little disrespectful to the opposition, but she much prefers everything's going my way. It's yeah. 58 minutes and I'm you know whipping that forehand. I'm not sure how much she relishes fighting yeah and that's something you know and often she doesn't have to to her yeah. credit but when she does um i'm not and, and ostapenko sort of referenced this in her uh t- typically candid post-match <laughs> remarks but yeah. um i get the sense that if you can sort of turn it into a fight with ega you give yourself a chance yeah it's a good point ega i mean maybe this is a lot of superstars in, in any sport when your a game is so good that you can beat 98 percent of the population with it your counterparts right. When someone does kind of thwart that, you're not used to having exactly. to adapt. So for Iga, she's out. The draw does seem like it opens up. I mean, we, we can talk about Coco in a second, but you're going to have either Coco, Ostapenko, Kristea, or Mukova in the final. So a little different than what we predicted, but that's been women's tennis, and it's been a pretty exciting thing for all these quality players. Right. And, I mean, I think everyone's, depending on uh, where this is, Will hopefully still be fresh. I mean, no, I everyone. I think everyone's everyone's thinking this is Coco's turn now. And yeah. Iga had given her trouble for years. Coco seemed to solve the riddle in Cincinnati. I think a lot of people wanted to see if she could do it again on the big stage. She's not going to have to do it. So um, things are breaking very Coco. Yeah. Right. It's so funny though. I mean, she left Wimbledon, and everybody was sort of really picking their words carefully. And the forehand was an open secret. It was on every it. show. Everyone every just show, said you know, I forehand. remember, and, yeah. and, you know, old former players <laughs> are showing how to grip it. And should she take six months off and totally retool her forehand? So, and that's a, it's an interesting point too, because I agree with you. It seems like it is Coco's tournament now with how it's opening up. There is pressure with that. 
you know, she's much as made with the coaching that she has, Gilbert being on her team. I wanted to know, though, because in your opinion on this, there's a lot of people out there, tennis people, that say it really takes a couple months for a coach to make any kind of impact. And I wonder if this could be like a placebo effect type thing or like a mental freshening up of just a different approach. Because I don't, I mean, the game has always been there minus the forehand breaking down. I almost feel like there hasn't been too much technically different. She's just continuing to fight and win all these three set matches, which was kind of always in there. Yeah, I mean, so, some of this might be sort of the, the myth of uh, the hot hand and the myth of streaks, yeah. and maybe this is just things are regressing to the mean. I mean, you do wonder if uh, if, if you or I coached her, would these results be different? How much <laughs> saying you need to make the match physical or yeah, yeah. keep keep fighting? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, th- I think we think of a coach as sort of having a calming relationship. I don't think at this level necessarily yeah. coaches are particularly technical. You know, you're, right. you're not telling Novak Djokovic how to, you know, change no. his grip at this point in the game. Yeah. But something's clearly working. And I, I, I think the other thing about being it, it's a little tricky figuring out how much credit to give the player versus how much the coach. And I think, you know, whether it's causation or correlation, <laughs> yeah. and obviously the results since Brad Gilbert in particular has come on. I mean, the results speak for themselves. I also warn against getting too carried away with crediting the coach because right. the player's the one that's got to go out there and <laughs> yeah. ultimately deal. Yeah, she's the one that actually went out there and won those tournaments. But I do think that, you know, the, the pressure in the game is there. And I would argue, too, she hasn't even, I would say, come close to playing her best level for a full match. The first sets in a lot of these matches have been let down, which I take away as a positive. It's almost, you know, we talked about Djokovic, Nadal in the past, these guys that ramp up for the big matches, and there's a lot there. But the pressure, I mean, she's a vet now, which is hard, to, it's funny to say, but... The opportunity is there. It's all right in front of her. Yeah, I remember she lost the first set of this tournament that she played, and I think a lot of these matchups, too, are what What do I really have to gain here, right? Mm-hmm. So she's playing little-known players or younger players or the Siegemund, her first opponent, it's north of age 35. Carolyn Wozniacki yeah. wasn't an active tennis player 90 days ago. <laughs> no. So I think it's interesting to see how Coco's handling a series of very different, and Ostapenko's yeah. another totally different challenge than the others. So it's not just that she's winning two right. sets every match. It's that she's doing it under some strange context. The Ostapenko match might be her toughest. I mean, for the it could be for the rest of the tournament. We'll see what happens there. Ostapenko's very game in a lot of ways. And, and before we move on to who's left, I wanted to touch on who you mentioned, Wozniacki, and this WTA mom's resurgence and depth that we have now. You brought up something else on Twitter. It's that these moms are coming back more focused. It's kind of... Interesting to see with Svitolina and Wozniacki that they're adding stuff to their games and they're just maybe even locking in more than they did before. Yeah, I mean, we could sort of joke about yeah. it. And, well, when you're chasing yeah. around kids, it yeah. changes your mentality. But I also think you take time off and you sort of say to yourself, what did I do well? What could I do better? If I were given a second chance, what mm-hmm. would I do? And I think that that's the case as much as anything. And, yeah. I mean, the, the Svitolina is a great story. Taylor Townsend's a great story. It's not just the statistic when we say, oh, you know, they're, they're, I think there were 10 moms in the uh-huh. main yeah. draw, but some of them really made a mark on this tournament. It's not mm-hmm. just the, the sheer number of them, but I do think it's interesting that uh, Svitolina and Wozniacki spring to mind as players who their their 2.0 is different than yeah. what, uh, what they look like when they were top 10 players. Yeah, it's my theory is just you have to be kind of all in when you come back. There's no one foot in, one foot right, out if you're going right. to make that commitment, and we'll see with... The other moms that are coming back. The rest of the tournament, I mean, there's other players still in it. Jesse Pagula plays Madison Keys today. And it's an interesting match. We know how dangerous Keys can be. But for Pagula, it's one question. Can she get past that quarterfinal round? And yeah. it's 
it's there for it's there for again it's been there so we'll see yeah, I mean, I, it's it's interesting too. She she, she had a grand. If you you heard that in the, in the you yeah. know where I'm going with this. Yeah, what what is it going to take? What, what do you have to do to get to a semi? And she says, win a quarter. Uh, so she has a good sense of humor about it. No, I mean, I th- I think with Pagula, I think she benefits. A, she's as we speak, she's still in the mixed and in women's doubles. So she's a week two player in three events. I think that probably helps with her scheduling. And I also think she probably benefits from this great ascent of Coco and even to some extent, the American men that it takes, she's the highest ranked American male or female. Mm-hmm. And yet she's probably number three on the storylines yeah. behind Coco. And then this, this cluster of American men. And I think that probably suits her. I think her ability to just withstand, as you said, the met, the pressure of the ground. I mean, we'll see because the Vandrosova match at Wimbledon was not her best performance. Yeah. Australia this year, same. She's going to lose to some tough players that will happen, but Here's another opportunity for her. The, the last thing I have on the women's draw, John, is that you look at players that we thought maybe were flashing the pants and Mukova and Vandrosva, they look like legit top 10 players now. This isn't a fluke what they did at previous majors this year. Yeah, and I, I mean, Mukova's always just a sort of really fine athlete who just had a hard time staying healthy. She gets to the finals of Roland Garros, and we say, oh, wait for <laughs> grass. And then mm. grass wasn't particularly successful, but now she's back. She reached the finals in Cincinnati, gets to week two, here and you sort of look at her game and you sort of say why why <laughs> yeah. why can't this player win majors again? Yeah. Um, as, as good an athlete as you will find. And then Vondrosova, I think, is a nice story too. That uh, I, I mean, it, nobody benefits when a player wins a major and everyone sort of writes it off as a fluke and yeah. they disappear. So for Vondrosova to come back at the very next major and reach the second week, I think, yeah. is a really good sign. Yeah, with with Anjibor on the flip side losing that major and the pressure that she felt and and still just kind of gutting it through hasn't been near her best still winning. You see both sides of duality of what happens when you win versus you lose a major, how tough it could be. And before I forget, too, Sabalenka, number one in the world now. It's a, it's a pretty big moment for her. We'll see what that means the rest of this tournament and beyond, but she finally tracked Iga down after chasing her all year. Yeah, it, it came a little strangely. <laughs> yeah. I, I did not think uh, she, she probably didn't envision, no, no. Ostapenko yeah. will take out an Iga. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. now we'll see what will it mean for Sabalenka to – Take the court as the number one ranked player in the world. Yeah, I don't know if you envision that as a kid, right? Winning number one in your hotel room yeah, while you're exactly. eating like Uber Eats exactly. or something. Exactly. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. More with John Wertheim here on Tennis Channel Inside, and the men's side of things is very fascinating as well. I mean, starting with uh, the the number one in the world who just overtook the ranking, Novak Djokovic, he had the test early, a two-set comeback against his country, Matt Laszlo Jara, and then he follows it up with the win over Gojo. He's back into the quarterfinals, and really, I, I looked at that best-of-five match, the, the two sets that he lost, John, and it's funny because down two sets, but I can't find one person that thought he was actually going to lose that match. 
Yeah, and I think we've sort of seen this movie enough times <laughs> yeah. that, uh, and th- I think this was his, in the last 30 months or so, I think this was his fifth time he has come back from a love two deficit. Remember Musetti mm-hmm. in the French Open final and uh, Sinner, mm-hmm. Sinner at Wimbledon. And I think this is just, part of this is the benefits of best of five versus best of three. Yeah, well, This is best of three, <laughs> Novak's at home, and we're all talking about whether at 36 he's peaked and it's a disappointment, and right. instead it's, Eh, it was sluggish for an hour, and then he he turned it on. And um, I, I do think, too, he has not played a day match yet. Taylor Fritz presumably uh, will be during mm, the day. Yeah. So in terms of his scheduling, in terms of sort of the rhythm and buzz of the tournament, it's it's been a little strange, but uh, once again, Novak into week two. Well, people are going to look at the paths there, and obviously Alcaraz was the one scene. It's just been taking care of business as well, and you know, by all accounts, the easiest of the fourth-round matchups, but then it really ramps up. You'd have right. to go center Medvedev. And you look at Djokovic's side, Fritz will be the first seed he faces. There's the American test there, but... You know, you can't really predict how the draws are going to break down. Djokovic is going to, and Alcaraz are going to be favorites against anyone. But I, I do think for Djokovic, how he manages his body, and obviously that comes with the diet, he is built for best of five. And we're seeing it with Alcaraz too, but nobody has had this level of sustainability in the five-set format. Yeah, and I think that sometimes we just forget <laughs> how big a factor best of five yeah. is. Um, I don't think it's necessarily easy to go from from day to night back to or from mm-hmm. night to day and then and possibly back. And we all know that Novak's staying in mm-hmm. New Jersey, a 45 minute commute. So I think there's some rhythm issues, yeah. but you know, I, I think a lot of times we say this just because it's intuitive and common sense that yeah. quarterfinals and semifinals are going to be important <laughs> and take care of business. But yeah. I would like to see data on that because, yeah, I mean, Alcaraz last year is a great example. Court time, yeah, didn't really prove that went through. Yeah, Playing till three in the <laughs> yeah. morning in five-set five yeah. matches and American yeah. crowds, and he was still the last man standing. Yeah, and I think the U.S. Open on the men's side is in such a great situation because, obviously, they're I'm kind of seeing people, fans and media, Bill Alcaraz, Djokovic, almost like combat sports. Like, we want that next edition. We want the rematch. But if it doesn't happen, it could be an American. It could be a guy like Sinner, a former champ like Medvedev. Not the the worst thing. I don't think there's, like, a a floor that's really bad for how this plays out. Yeah, and I think that's something we often (laughs) forget about. The What's tennis going to look like after the big three? You know what? There'll be storylines, and whether it's Medvedev winning his second U.S. Open in in three years or whether it's you yeah. know, the, the rise of the Americans, they'll, they'll always be a story. Yeah. Alcaraz's popularity though is very fascinating already because like that Tiafo match last year, it wasn't like it was a fully partisan crowd. Yeah, exactly. Tiafo, yeah, Alcaraz right. is a global superstar already. Right. And people are already <laughs> saying, you know, when, when he plays Djokovic, he's going to be the fan favorite. And you sort of want to say, well, <laughs> what, why exactly? Yeah. Um, Alcaraz is great. We all love him. The, the shot making and the showmanship, but mm-hmm there's still a bit of a language barrier Mm -hmm. and we haven't really gotten to know him the way we have with other players. I I think that's, that's a a good observation. And I think, I don't know, sometimes less is more, right? Yeah. I I agree with that completely. I also think the U S open crowd, which by and large, I'm a fan of them, especially the post 1am crowd when it's just the diehards there. They, and this is tennis fans in general, a lot of times at majors, they're just rooting for more tennis too. So I do feel like some of the rooting for the underdogs against Djokovic haven't necessarily been personal. Exactly. They just don't want to see three quick sets and then have nothing to yeah, do. Yeah, right. I want to get my money's worth here. <laughs> yeah. Well, b- before we get to the Americans, I had to bring up Daniil Medvedev because this guy is just the best soundbite in <laughs> tennis, right? Like there's nobody close to him right, right. now. His, uh, his reactions all tournament night. 
you know, we're talking movies and I threw a basketball movie up, but I go back to another classic, the original, not the new Hulu one, the white man can't jump movie. And I look at Medvedev as a guy who I do think plays better when he's that agitated state. Like it gets him, yeah, yeah, it gets him to a place that he needs to be. And I think a lot of it is manufactured. And I do think the New York crowd's starting to just enjoy the show of it more, not take it as personal. And I think they recognize <laughs> yeah. that this is not, uh, you know, this is this is a truth teller. And this is a guy who deep deep down is a good guy, and yeah. it's not this is not a villain. But he's mm-hmm. great. I mean, I don't know if you saw who was it against uh, Chris O'Connor. You know, he lost the set, and he called for the trainer mm-hmm. and said, "What's the problem?" He said, "I lost the set." Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's good entertainment value, and I think on, on Armstrong in particular, where the, mm-hmm. the crowds are close and it's a little bit softer light than Ash, he's yeah. really been able to shine. But uh, yeah, he's and his tennis has been great too. Yeah, our own Mark Petchy brought this up in terms of Medvedev and also threw Zverev in there. He did say that the conditions favor guys like this. Not that they're going to win, but it gives them a better chance how the game and how the ball, obviously the ball is too a big topic, but how it's playing. Not to bring up old wounds, I know last year on this show you picked Medvedev to win. It didn't happen for him. He ran into Kyrgios. Oh, but do you think that Medvedev is a legit you know, contender to win? Obviously, Djokovic, Alcaraz deserve to be favorites, but can Medvedev actually win this tournament? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously he's, he's done it before, and by his own reckoning, he's, he's a hardcore specialist. <laughs> yeah. Interesting uh, characterization. I mean, I just think there's a big staircase down from Alcaraz and Novak. So Medvedev would probably be your third pick, but I just think, uh, you know, he's he's taken a fair amount of damage. Mm-hmm. Um, we, Diminor uh, earlier this summer on the hardcore. I mean, there's he's he's taken some wounds and obviously mm-hmm. hasn't won a second major. He would be my third pick, but right now I think they're they're two guys that are just at a different plane. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating too because you have the center Alcaraz rematch one match away in the quarters, and I'd say, well, how would I handicap this if that match is a war and Medvedev breezes, but then. That doesn't seem to work on Alcaraz, right? He could just play five yeah, exactly. sets and, and work exactly. on. That center match, though, would be fun. I mean, if we get that again, and I do think Yannick's looked a little more focused recently, but it's going to be a step up if he gets there to play Alcaraz yet again. A better yeah, Alcaraz I, than last year, too. I mean, we, we said the same thing about Djokovic at Wimbledon yeah. when yeah. they got a rematch and they had a yeah. great five-setter, and what's it going to look like when they have this rematch <laughs> and center didn't... It's really like, yeah, because these guys are getting better, too. Like, we're, exactly. we're always looking at it like, well, sinners improve, but it's not right. like they're staying still. Exactly. It's like AI. <laughs> uh, Alcaraz is only getting better and learning from mistakes. And I, I also just think Sinner, I'm not yet convinced he has that, like, I'll chew on barbed wire if I have to, but I'm not leaving this court as anything but the winner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see a little more toughness from him. My issue with Sinner is the well, he's had a lot of those letdown matches when yeah, he has right, gotten right. by Alcaraz. If it's a conditioning, if it's a next matchup, but Medvedev ran through him in Miami after the Alcaraz match. So I think right. to go through this draw might be tough for him. But the American men are, are coming in bunches. I, I didn't realize. So three American quarterfinalists, Fritz, Tiafo, Ben Shelton, they put up the graphic. It had been Roddick, Agassi, Blake. I think Ginepri was in there. Right. So shout out to Ginepri for being one of the last ones there. But three Americans in the final eight. I know we talk about world beaters and this Roddick 20-year streak of winning a major, but three out of eight is pretty darn impressive. The global population is, <laughs> is, is what? Is, you know, yeah. 12 billion in the, the U.S. So, so I think sort of proportional to uh, population, the U.S. is doing awfully well. I mean, I think the question is just going to be, like, us tennis nerds, we get it. We understand that three of the last eight is great. And remember, Francis was a semifinalist last year. Tommy Paul was a semifinalist in Australia. Taylor Fritz was in Wimbledon, a quarterfinalist in Wimbledon 2022. I mean, we've had some results. Yeah. But I just think to the casual sports fan, the outside, 
they're used to Connors and McEnroe and then Pete and Andre and Jim. And until an American lifts that trophy, like three, three of eight's not going to cut it with, you know, the, the people I run into on the street. It's unfortunate too, because yeah, even if there's a finalist, you'll say, well, we haven't won that trophy. So Tiafo getting back here, starting with him is pretty impressive. I mean, I know the draw and you could say the same for Fritz has opened up, but there is that expectation. And I would argue that younger Francis, when he had that Aussie run, Randy Nadal got, you know, dealt with pretty swiftly. He had a hard time as any young person probably would handling that newfound success and ranking. He's a professional now in every sense of the word. Yeah. And I love how he's very open. Let's, I build my season to peak for the U.S. Open. So he puts a lot of pressure on himself. You know, the, he, he and Taylor Fritz both have had great draws, fine. But, mm-hmm. you know, what's the cliche? <laughs> you can, can only beat who they play and put in yeah. front of you. And now he's suddenly, both of them, they're, yeah. you know, fewer, they're single-digit sets away from winning the title. With Fritz, you look at, obviously, Djokovic coming up, but he had never had this before. So I looked at right. those first matches you know first two regardless of who we played is the real test like can you just get through the first two rounds and try to build something because it hadn't happened before but you know the game's there and you know it's genetic Kathy May 1978 quarterfinalist so following in his mom's footsteps is also pretty cool but he's someone that has been carrying the mantle as the number one ranked player for a few years now so I guess I'm not super surprised given what Fritz's game has looked like that he's here. Yeah, I think, you know, I think he had lost four of his last eight matches at majors coming in. Last year, lost to, to Tracy's son, to, to, mm-hmm. to Brandon Holt, who was a qualifier. Um, so just getting to week two is, is an achievement for him. Look, he's, he's played a teenager. He's played a qualifier. He played Stevie Johnson. He hasn't had the toughest road, but that also means he doesn't have uh, much, you know, still a lot of tread on the tire. And now we'll see about Novak. I mean, I think a day match helps Taylor. I think the fact that Taylor hasn't really been... Tested, hasn't, hasn't dropped a set. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so, we'll see. I mean, it, if they both play their best, Novak's going to win. But if Taylor makes life difficult and the crowd gets involved and it's hot, uh, this could be interesting. They played close sets, unfortunately, for Taylor Djokovic has won right. a lot of them. But there have been a lot of tie breaks, a lot of seven five sets in there. Ben Shelton's the next one, and this has been a moment, a breakthrough for him. Fascinating that he bookends his major year with success, quarterfinal at Aussie quarterfinal at best or more at u.s open we'll see but seven and 18 in the middle so he weathered the storm weird uh, weird year where you get to week two (laughs) of a major the first major outside the united states you played and you're the toast of tennis and then you go about eight months without stringing together back-to-back wins and you know i think people were pretty openly sort of like how good is this kid and did we go overboard on the hype and then you come to the u.s open and be Tommy Paul in four sets, serve 149 miles an hour, it's, and suddenly you're in the quarter. So that okay. serve, and yeah. you can say this arm. with whether it was Isner or Milos or these guys, this era, you know, Roddick before Kevin Anderson, it just sounds different. Like there's just no way. And, and the it fact look, that he's it a lefty, looks different. Yeah. Dude, it like yeah. bounces at a different place yeah. on the back screen. Um, yeah. yeah, I think to the, to the naked eye, you see that lefty serve and sort of yeah. say, whoa, that's that's a weapon. I'll give media technology some credit and where we've gone. I know a lot of people ripping them in certain ways, but that camera angle behind the baseline of him serving yeah, is pretty yeah. insane yeah. to see what it looks like and what it would look like on the other side defending it. With with action, too. You can, yeah. you can pick up. This isn't just a fastball down the middle. Right. This is moving at 149. 
He's smart too, because he'll mix up body serves. He was keeping Paul on his heels. Paul had, you know, had an off day, had break point chances. I think that's a lot of credit to Shelton serving his way out of that. But the hype is like you watch a match like that yesterday, and we'll see if he beats Tiafo and how far this goes. But you understand why people, why tennis nerds, especially like us, were so in on the hype because he's got so many physical gifts that just need to be molded like a little clay here. But right. the game and the potential is sky high. Lefty. <laughs> 20, 149 miles an hour. He plays to the crowd. He's personable. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if you've watched any of uh, any of the doubles on the mixed doubles. Yeah, him and Taylor. A nice set of hands. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot to like here. Yeah, and uh, an advertisement for maybe the parents don't specialize in sports because this was an American football player who waited a little later to go with a full yeah, tennis exactly. route. So right. having his dad, Brian Shelton, in his corner helps as well. So that's going to be like what our, our men's draw looks like. If you had to kind of forecast this, obviously we're looking at that Djokovic Alcaraz final. Do you see, I guess the best way to ask this would be, was there going to be blips? If, if there were blips, who would be likely to stumble a bit? Um, no, it's a good question. I just, I mean, obviously Medvedev is sort of the, the, the third seeded wild card. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's the, could be the, the most obvious disruptor. I just don't see it. I mean, I just think, Everything from the best of five format to the fact that these two guys have won, mm-hmm. you know, they, they've split the last five majors. Yeah. I just think everything, which is good. I don't say this with any uh, reservation. I mean, you know, if, if we can <laughs> be, if this can be the third straight major in which we get an Alcaraz Djokovic match, I think we all win. It's crazy that that's what we're gearing for. I agree. I just don't trust anybody to beat Djokovic in that five set format outside of Alcaraz and and Alcaraz has you know the combination as Djokovic said of the big three the Rafa quality that I've noticed is he gets that break right back like in these sets where he falls down it's just it's remarkable well before we wrap up this has been fun with John Wertheim on Tennis Channel Inside and just a couple notes also want to give props to some players don't you find it ironic that Stan Varenka was the old guy that kind of matched the Connors run of like 92 just being the oldest guy to yeah, win a couple exactly. matches. Yeah, right. Never and, would have uh, thought it would have been him, like, of all the people, it's too. It's funny, too, because, I, I mean, he played center, and it was 85-15 pro stand. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really, for whatever, I mean, yes, he won this event, but it was seven years ago, and uh, I don't know if it's sort of the Roger mm-hmm. carryover, or he's a good social media guy, <laughs> or just people love the yeah. backhand. He's really become a fan favorite, too, and at age 38, um, you know, realistically, is he going to yeah. win another major? Probably not, but he still could make life very interesting. Yeah, I think the fans, especially in New York, love giving their flowers to the vets, and Stan has, you know, weathered the storm. It's great to see. And I also want to give props to John Isner. His retirement as well loses to Michael Moe in five sets, but he you know, held that mantle for American tennis, and I know it wasn't as high as even it is right now, but, you know, it's the same thing with, like, James Blake, who was a mentor to him, and these players that, you know, do their best, carry the mantle. It's not their fault that the contemporaries aren't there. I also think Isner was generally appreciative of that next generation taking it a little further. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just sort of a, a consummate pro, and I think he gave his respect to superior players. I think he knew what his strengths and weaknesses were. He made life really mm. difficult for a lot of players. I mean, there's there's no way you can simulate. You can't tell your yeah. practice partner, hey, go be a 6'9 guy that serves <laughs> like that. But I also think you're right. His willingness to mentor and his, I think he's he's happy at the state mm-hmm. in which he's leaving yeah. American men's tennis. He'll he'll be missed. That serve would have been great if he wasn't 6'9. But the fact yeah. that he is 6'9, exactly. it just makes it unfair. Um, well, I had to give an update too and check. Peyton Stearns is up 4 1 as we record this in the first set oh, on Vandrosova. So right. could be another Midwesterner into the quarterfinals there. Uh, this has been good. Want to wrap with, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, you're the news guy, so I get the serious stuff. Where are we, are we at with the WTA finals? 
because I know it's not oh, great man. and it's a tough one. And I know yeah, we can I mean, only the, the fact that we're yeah. talking yeah. about this and it's the first week of September and we're whatever it's eight weeks yeah. away is, is problematic. Um, I mean, my, my reporting said Saudi Arabia was at the one yard line when the tournament started. The WTA helped to sort of they'd hoped to make a quiet announcement that obviously um, they got some pushback. And now it looks as though there are some some other alternatives. This may just mean, listen, we need a year to pause. We need a year to yeah. reset to get some clarity on the site and everything. I mean, I had people saying, look, we don't even know if our players will be able to wear their regular attire. Like, Oof. We just need to yeah. know more before we make this big move. So this may just be a year delay, but it doesn't sound like it's headed to Saudi Arabia in 2023. Yeah, it's such a, and not to get into the weeds of how this decision should go, but it is a huge decision with very little time. And I think that's the biggest exactly. thing that stands out. Czech Republic looks like a great place. Obviously the tennis passion influence there. They had the issue with getting Russian and Belarusian players in, but it sounds like that would there be an exemption if the finals were to take place there. Yeah. I mean, it's unclear the way it was explained to me. It, it does sound like there'll be an exemption or that policy will end. I don't know if that's going to apply for coaches and mm -hmm. entourage, but certainly the players. I mean, the, the flip side to that whole argument is <laughs> Russia did something really bad yeah. right next door. So <laughs> this isn't some yeah. inherent bias or is, I mean, some people said, well, how can we go to the, how can we say no to Saudi Arabia and then go to the Czech Republic where they don't allow Russian athletes in? And the response is yeah. a, they are, but B this isn't codified yeah. bias. Mm -hmm. This is in response to an act of hostility uh, a few hundred miles away. Well, I would just hope that they get a finals and, you know, it's an obviously opportunity. It's a big payday that these players deserve. And, you know, given what's happened in the last couple of years, we just like to see the schedule kind of along and uh, good there. The uh, last thing, John Wertheim, uh, did have to comment you on that piece on Ryan Day at Ohio State, you know, not oh, just as an Ohio oh, guy, nice, but yeah. any crossover we can get, I think it's a good thing. And, you know, the forehand looked a little good. It was a little, the movement was okay. But, you know, I think the fact that these coaches, anybody that plays tennis, it's a great thing to see. But he works so many hours that I feel like this is as much a mental break as it is just a physical exercise. Yeah, exa exactly. Um, but also, it, this is not someone who just, oh, you know, I pick up a racket every now and then. I mean, he's, he's serious about his tennis. I think it helped him in terms of uh, sort of, I, I think he likes the sports psychology. I think the individual versus team. And Ty Tucker, who is the Ohio State men's coach, one of the all-time great American junior tennis legends, uh, I think he plays a, a big supporting role in this. Yeah, still has his he has his name on the court at Ohio State, and he's coaching, yeah, exactly, so he's got the exactly. Coach K treatment there. Exactly. Uh, well, this has been a blast. Thanks a ton for coming on the show. Uh, we've had the crossover support in the U.S. Open. Saw Aaron Rodgers in the TC hat the other right. day too. Yeah. So this Open will be exciting. But John Wertheim, thanks for coming on Tennis Channel Insight, and always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Anytime. That was John Wertheim on Tennis Channel Inside and We're on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com slash podcasts. We're on all your platforms as well. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music. Subscribe to get every episode downloaded right into your phone. We're back later this week to update as the U.S. Open reaches its conclusion. For John Wertheim, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you later this week.